0: Please turn in your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter 3. We're going to talk about a total misunderstanding of God's grace. So, as you're turning to that, I got some good news and some bad news. The good news is Jesus is coming back. Hopefully, that's good news for you. Some might be freaking out. Oh, no, no, not yet, not yet. To me, I'm ready. Come on back today, it'd be perfect. The bad news, he's mad. And he's going to judge the whole world. And this is not a joke. Jesus is coming back. The first time he came to provide forgiveness of our sins. The second time he's coming back, it's to judge this world. So the chapter 3 of Romans, that's what we're starting today. It's full of good news and bad news. It's this age-old debate. Are we good with amazing grace? Or are we good at abusing grace? And that's what, uh, so Paul... Paul the Apostle's writing. He's writing to this church in Rome. He'd never been there yet, but he, he's going to go there someday. But he's, he's having this imaginary dialogue. He's anticipating questions they're going to ask, and he's questioning them, or he's answering those questions uh, before they even get to ask. So we're in Romans chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, Paul says, So what advantage then has the Jew? What's the big deal? Does that give you an in? Or what's the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because uh, to them it was committed the uh, oracles of God. For what if someone didn't believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but let every man be a liar. As it is written, now he quotes from Psalm 51. We're going to go there in a minute. Psalm fifty one that you may be justified in your words, speaking to the Lord, and you may uh, overcome when you're judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I'm speaking like a guy. Certainly not. For for then how will God judge the world? Verse seven. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie, to His glory, why? Why am I also still judged as a sinner? Don't I make God look good is what he's saying. My sin makes him look so good. And why not say, let's do evil, that good may come. As we are slanderously reported as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just, you know what he's saying? They're ending up in the wrong place for for statements like that. Now, by way of review, what we've covered in the first two chapters Uh, Basically, they're saying, you know, Paul, uh, you have taken away everything I've stood on for all my life. Uh, Meaning, yeah, I I, I was, I prided myself on being born a Jew in the land of Israel. I mean, I'm 100%. I prided myself as a Jew. We had the oracles of God. That means we were given the Bible. We have the Old Testament at that time. And, And I prided myself, I went through this ritual called circumcision. And Paul, you're taking away all that. You're thinking that, you're telling me that doesn't mean anything. So Paul's response so far, uh, your you're pride you're, uh, about being a Jew, that you're 100% Jewish and that you were born in Israel, all that tells me is that your mom and dad were 100% Jewish and your mom was in Israel when she delivered you. You literally had nothing to do with it. It's a great heritage and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's great but you had nothing to do with it. And, and definitely, that's not going to get you into heaven. They're thinking, I'm a Jew. All Jews are going to heaven. Going. And he goes, no, that that's, doesn't work that way. So on having the oracles of God, he's going, you might want to obey them once in a while. He says, you, yes, God gave you his Old Testament. It was amazing. And it's like you're carrying around this book saying, I'm special because I have the, the Old Testament. But Paul's saying, have you ever tried to read it? Do you know that your lifestyle is completely wacko with what that's calling you to do, how to, it's calling you to live? So yes, you got the oracles, great. But obey them. Apply them to your life. And being circumcised, well, it should speak of a relationship. If you were here last week when Fulton Hawke spoke on circumcision, what an artful job. <laughs> I loved when he goes, Lord, He's quoting, uh, he's quoting Abraham. Lord, Noah, you gave him a sign and you got a rainbow. You gave me a sign and it's circumcision. Guess who's more popular? So uh, he said, well, it's supposed to be uh, evidence of a relationship. And so, so often people think, oh, because I did this one act, because I went through this or I went through water baptism or I gave a lot of money, I'm in. He says, no, 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 all that, those are good things, but it should speak of a relationship you have with the Lord. So then he's asking these, the, the next uh, question, well, what, what if they don't believe? What if God goes through all this trouble and some say, oh, I'm not just going to believe it. So does that mean his, his plan backfires? It's like he has to come up with some plan B. And he says, no, God remains faithful. And when he's about to share, the difference between amazing grace and abusing grace, using Psalm 51, he's going to share, here's the balance, here's what God's plan. So, the next question, well, if my unrighteousness demonstrates God's righteousness, uh, is it fair that God judges us? I mean, I'm making him look good. And he's going, it doesn't work that way. God is holy, holy, holy. He's found a way to judge sin and forgive the sinner, and then finally, the most ludicrous question of all: Why don't we uh, just, why don't we just say, "Hey, let's let's do evil that good may come. Let's just sin our face off, and God will be glorified." And to that, he goes, "Their condemnation is just. If that's what they're doing with the grace of God, they're heading in the wrong direction. See, they don't understand grace." As Jews, now we're going back 2,000 years. They understand about the keeping the Ten Commandments, right? And I know Moses gave this. God gave him to Moses. And they're like denying what Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount where he was saying, guys, it's more than just keeping it on the outside. Every one of those commandments is on the. It's a heart issue. And by the way, you've broken all of them. So they, they think, okay, we're trying to keep the Ten Commandments. I don't know about this grace stuff. That's why he, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot about this. How do you explain amazing grace without confusing it with abusing grace? That's the issue of these, these uh, verses. That's why Paul quotes from Psalm 51. And I have here the full, the full quote from Psalm 51, verse 4, where he says, David is busted in a sin of adultery and murder. All right, King David. And he's praying, Lord, against you only have I sinned. That's called confession. I have blown it. I have sinned. I've messed up. And I've done evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. So he's answering to Romans 3. was well, God fair for judging? He goes, you know what? I sinned. I messed up. I confess. And you're making it right. Don't anyone uh, find fault with that. So, Psalm 51, as he quotes it here, Psalm 51 shows the balance between God, how he judges sin, and yet in grace forgives the sinner. So, let's turn to Psalm 51, uh, sung sung by many churches to this day. And it's interesting, in honor of Memorial Day, Psalm 51 indirectly involves the death of a valiant soldier right? Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, died, and part of that is indirectly written into Psalm 51. So a little background, David commits adultery, all right? How does this happen? Well, we see him in first as a shepherd boy, young teens, youngest uh, of eight boys. What a family. Man, if you're hungry, you better go fast because that, no seconds at that table, Right. And this guy must have been lightning fast because he's explaining my victories in public when nobody's watching prepares me for victories in private or in public when everybody's watching. Did I say that right? His victories in private when no one's watching prepares him for the victories in public when everyone's watching. He said, I'm watching my dad's sheep. If a lion comes up, now they had lions back there, back then, and they had bears, he said, if they come up to attack and they want to eat one of my, my dad's sheep, you know what he did? This is nuts. He said, I'd grab him by the beard and kill him. Do you know how fast he must have been? <laughs> you ever see a lion? <laughs> it's just like, it's lightning fast. This guy would have been the best MMA fighter in the history of the world. Because it's so fast, like what happened? I don't know, this guy's gone. But he said, it just prepared me, I'm not afraid. I see a lion, he wants my sheep, you're gone. Same with a bear. He says, that kind of victory in private when no one's watching prepares me for victory in public when everyone's watching. This guy, Goliath, he's toast. He said he'll be just like the victories I already experienced when no one's watching. So, of course, you know the story. He goes out, has that sling, hits him in the forehead, dead, kills him, cuts off his head, with Goliath's own sword. What happens then, the little lasses, the women of the land, start singing and dancing. Their song backfired because they said, King Saul has killed his thousands, but David, the teenager, has killed his 10,000s. Well, King Saul hears this and he's furious. He's super jealous. He spends the next seven years trying to kill King David. David is just running for his life for seven years. All he knows is, I can't show up because the King Saul is going to kill me. But he goes from that kind of lifestyle for seven years. Eventually, King Saul dies in battle against the Philistines. And now David finds himself as king. And matter of fact, every place he turns, it's like, God confirms, you're you're my boy you're the king. And he's like, this is wonderful. So now he's no longer running for his life, which happened to be a pretty safe spot to be. Now he's in a kingdom. He's got wives. He's got concubines. When Absalom, his son, tried to overthrow his kingdom, remember? He chased dad out. Absalom went into 10 of David's concubines, not wives. So He's got a mess. He's got a harem of, peop, of women. I'm not sure how that works with the missus. I know it wouldn't work in my house. But he's got all kinds of women. He's king. Everybody thinks he can do no wrong. And yet at that point, he gets sloppy. Maybe you know the story. He, he Instead of going out to battle, he says, you know what? Let the others battle. Let the others minister. Let the others serve. I'm tired. I'm over it. and just, you know, Somebody else do it. And instead of being out to battle, he takes a nap. It just it just typifies somebody who says, you know what? I'm over it. I don't want to serve anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm just, I, I, I'm just getting sloppy. And he wakes up from his nap, looks on the other rooftop because the roofs are flat to this day in Israel. Sees a woman bathing, nude. Get her over here. Has a one-night one fling with her. And she gets pregnant. It's of the Lord. She gets word back to David, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant, and my husband is out in the battlefield where you should be. So David brings back her husband, Uriah, and hey, uh, give me some news about the battle. And hey, why don't you go see your wife? I'm not going to see my wife. I don't, I'm not going to leave my post as a soldier. David tries again the next night. It doesn't, doesn't work. Finally, he sends Uriah back in the battle with a note that says, have this guy killed. Put him in a place in battle where he's going to be shot down by the enemy, and it happens. So now David has gone from a shepherd boy killing lions and bears to an adulterer killing people, killing faithful, one of his top 30 guys. That's the background to this. So in Psalm 51, David's busted. You know the story, remember, prophet Nathan goes in, you're the man, you're the man. So he's busted, he repents, and he writes this psalm. And the psalm becomes a big hit in their church. Okay, we know it's a synagogue or, you know, temple, but in our terms, it'd be church. Big hit, everybody loves this song, because it has stuff like, look at your, your Bible in verse one. Blot out, means Lord, can you unsin me? Can you use your eraser? use your delete button and make it as if I never sinned. Unsin me and people go, I love that. Or in verse 10, Lord, would you create in me a clean heart? Because right now it's polluted. I have sinned. I've offended a holy God. I've messed up with a lot of relationships who knew Bathsheba knew Uriah. I, could you just clean my heart up? Or verse 12, could you restore something? This might be pushing it, Lord, but could you restore your joy? Could you make it like when I first got saved and ha, yeah, the, the sin was lifted and I, I felt like this backpack of sin was lifted off and, oh, I long to be joyful like that. And, and people, oh, man, this is such a good, no wonder it's a big hit in church, but not everyone loved it. Who wouldn't like it? Well, Anyone related to Bathsheba? We're not singing that song again, are we? I hate what he, he, he defiled my daughter. He defiled my auntie. He defiled my Sunday school teacher. Whoever, it be, it just, I, I hate that song. You know who else didn't like it? Uriah, his fellow soldiers. Of the top 30. I mean, if you read about these guys, one guy killed 800 guys in one time. These are nasty, mean men. You don't want them mad at me. Or, uh, you, and here they are. David, you had Uriah killed? I want to see you down a dark alley. And, and so if I was a soldier, and they're singing this song, and it, all it does is remind me of Uriah, I would get up and walk out. I don't need this. I hate that song. How about David's kids? So embarrassed. Oh man, thanks. Now, I came to church and all you're doing is reminding me of my dad's sexual sin. Thank you. I'm so glad I came to church today. Not everyone liked it, but it was still a big hit. So let's look at those same verses again. Blot out my sin, would you make it like I never sinned? And these people who hate it, go, no David, not gonna happen. You deserve to die. Actually, in the law, he deserved to die twice. Once for adultery, once for murder. So when the prophet said, God's forgiven you, it's only the grace of God. There's nothing in the Old Testament law that allows for that. It's the grace of God in the Old Testament. But here, oh, unsend me. No. How about this one? Okay. Creating me a clean heart. God, I, I just, I hate the pollution. And they might yell out, it's not going to happen, David. It's not that simple. You just want to sing a song and it goes, it is that simple. That's what grace is. That's all that you just it is. Okay, you've asked the gracious God for grace, and he says, yes. But the people who don't know about grace, all they know is, no, I'm holding on to this. can't stand you, David. How about this one? Restore to me the joy. No, David, you don't deserve joy. Because of what you did to Bathsheba and to Uriah, I want you to be miserable. I want to see you in dust, you know, just throwing dust on it. I want to see you crying and weeping and losing weight because you can't eat. I want to see you miserable. How dare you say, restore the joy of my salvation. But that's what God did. Became a big hit. Now, how's this? How's God's amazing grace glorified in David's sin? Because that's the issue of Romans 3. Is it amazing or is it abusing? Amazing because David repented, God forgave, restored, and blessed. And he was still the king. How is amazing grace abused well, it's when we do this. We think, I'm just going to sin, God will forgive, no big deal. That's abusing grace. That is like planned out repentance. I got this. Got, well, see, there's a thing called consequences. There's an old saying, you can choose your sin, but you cannot choose your consequences. And at this point in David's life, he didn't get to choose the consequences. The next instance, he, he will out here. said, David, your life is never going to be the same again, ever. You have kids, they're going to kill each other. The sword will never depart from your house because of your sin. This one is going to smart for the rest of your life. Now, if you were related to Uriah the, the soldier, if you're related to Bathsheba, Would you, do you honestly think you would forgive David? You see, the whole thing we're talking about here is wrestling with forgiveness, wrestling with grace, wrestling with, that guy does not deserve it. I mean, come on, he crossed the line, okay? It's very clear. You know, my sin is okay because I didn't cross the line. His sin is disgusting, so I'm not going to forgive him. Do you think he'd be there? How about, do you think you'd see him as your king? Would you still submit or would you go, you know, he's not my king. Don't we hear that a lot? He's not my king. The guy, you know, is a phony. He's a hypocrite. I don't submit to him. How about this? You only can forgive him. You only surrender and submit to him when you experience the amazing grace of God. Because that's when you realize, I might not have done the same sin. I've done plenty. Or I've thought about plenty, or I've crossed the line so many times I cannot count anymore. All right, so David, we're back to Psalm fifty. David loves this psalm. Oh man, I just love because it just oh the I've learned my lesson. (laughs) I've I've learned the, the biggest mistakes are behind me. I will never do that one again, and he never did. Never do that again! And just such a, a, a neat thing. Oh man, all my big sins—they're all in my past, or all my youth, or whatever. And I've learned my lesson, and I—you know—I'm gonna have it printed up on my T-shirt. Psalm 51. A few years later, First Chronicles 21 happens. It says that Satan stood up, challenged David. David fell for pride. It's interesting to me that uh, here he is older in life, and it's no longer—it's not a sexual sin. It's a temptation. It's not a money temptation. You got tons of that. It's—it's it's not gossiping, or it's—it's it's pride. And you go, well, how, how does that work? How does it work at the end of your life? Well, it's this thing called um, the schemes of the enemy. And if you were here uh, at the prayer breakfast uh, this month, last month, Priscilla Shire shared, shared something so powerful about the schemes of the enemy and how he works to get us to, to fall. And she illustrated by saying, you know, if someone does something against me and hurts me, I can get over it. I, okay, you didn't mean it, well, Let's we're still friends. But if that person meant to do it, if that person studied me, And knew my schedule, knew my strengths, knew my weaknesses, knew when to strike. And meant it for evil. That changes everything. If that same person tries to do it to my spouse, my kids, my grandkids. Okay, now we're talking war. Because now you are scheming. You're trying to get me to fall. And that's what happens here. Satan is scheming against you today. I, I assume a lot of you had a great week. This, I had a great, I had one of my better weeks. It was awesome. Doesn't mean Satan goes, oh yeah, well, let's leave Mike alone. Yeah, never again. No, even with Jesus, with the three, remember the temptations of Christ? It said, finally he said, Satan, get out of here. And it says in Luke that Satan went away, but he waited for a more opportune time because he's still scheming. It, it's like if your life was a castle, I like this illustration. It's a castle and you got the the wall around it. And it just seems like, man, you'll never fall. So strong, you got the guards in place and they switch every now and then and man, you got it together, you're dialed in. But Satan, say you're on the water, you know, you're on the beach and Satan's got this ship that keeps going back and forth, where's the weakness? When do the guards change? When do they eat? When do they take a break? Where's the weak? But then he's got other guys, you know, on their belly on the shore with their telescope. Where is it? I know there's a weakness. And he's scheming. He's looking for that one time, boom, he gets you. And then he lies, he's full of deceit. He goes, look, I just want a toehold. That's all, I'll be in the corner of the castle. I will never bother you again. That's a lie. He's the father of lies, he gave birth to the very concept of lies. And so he takes his little toehold and all of a sudden it's a a foothold and then it becomes a stronghold because he is scheming and he's so good at deceiving that so many people don't even suspect him. He's not bothering me. He's scheming. He is scheming. So for David, okay, uh, it's no longer sexual temptation. It's not going to work. Gossip, he hates that. Look at that, pride, pride. We got them. You know the thing about pride, it's like BO. If I have pride, I'm the last one to know. Do you know what I mean? Me, stink, oh, mercy, mercy. Just, yeah, it's like, and here it's like, we, we got them. And I don't know, what's the scheme like? Is he saying, look at the Syrian army, they think they're so powerful, we're more powerful. Let's number our army. Look at the Ammonites. Look at the Philistines. Look at the Egyptians. I think we've got a bigger army than all of them. I want to number the army. And so in, in 1 Chronicles 21, he calls up his commander-in-chief, Joab, very questionable guy, but he's a good commander-in-chief. He goes, I want you to number my army. You know what Joab says? Why are you going to do that? May God bless you a hundred times what you have, but don't go to do this. This is sin. And David said, Get out of here. Who are you to try and keep me accountable? Joab reluctantly goes. And you know, it was over a million soldiers that David had? Can you conceive of an army that big? So Joab comes back. He doesn't even finish the job. He comes back and goes, Okay, look, this is what you got. And as soon as he gets it, David's heart condemns him. David realized, I blew it. What was I thinking? And he repents. Remember earlier I said you can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences? This time he chose his consequences. So, not Nathan the prophet, he was with Bathsheba. This is Gad the prophet. He comes in and says, David, you got three choices, three consequences, which one you want. Three years of famine, which means everybody's gonna hate your guts because there's no food. Three months. Of defeat by your enemies, which means a lot of bloodshed, or three days, the chastisement of God. David said, I am in great distress, but let me fall into the hands of God, because with man there's no mercy. Let's do the three days, and may God have mercy. The Bible tells us 70,000 people died, innocent people and you're going, David, my wife's dead. Thank you so much. My kid is gone. My husband, my uncle, my whatever, my, my, my workforce, they're dead. Be 70,000 because of your sin. So now, 70,000 people died. Could this have been avoided? Yeah. Number one, be accountable. You had a friend, a less than perfect friend who says, don't do this, and who are you to tell me what? Get out of my face. He wouldn't be accountable. Number two, he wasn't up to date with the Lord because the Bible says to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up in due time. David said, I'm not doing that. I'm a king, man. I say things, people jump. I say jump, they say, ah, so How high? I'm a king. So he lost touch with his relationship with the Lord and he really should have listened to his own counsel. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, army, military. Some trust in, in, uh, in horses. We're just going to remember the name of the Lord. That's one of those, it looks good on paper. But when it came down to it, you didn't listen to your own advice, David. 70,000 people. So now the crowd's going, hey, David, you hypocrite you know what, I would have said, hey, what what song are you going to sing now? I mean, you seem to think it's just, just sing a song and and everything's gone and God's dancing in heaven again and he's all stoked with you. So what what song are you going to sing now? Let's do Kumbaya. You know, let's sit in a circle around the campfire and hold hands and sway the right, sway the, Kumbaya, my Lord. Is that going to work, David? Hey, what song are you going to sing now? What song's going to make it all go away? David would say, you know, I believe I'm going to go back to the truths of Psalm 51. I'm going right back to uh, <laughs> God unsend me. I thought it was bad last time. I thought it was bad when I was doing a thing with Bathsheba and Uriah. <laughs> now it's 70,000. Could you unsend me? I'm embarrassed that I'm back. I'm embarrassed that I'm asking, but where else am I going to go? God, would you created me a clean heart because mine is polluted. Would you restore the joy of your salvation? And God says, yes, that's grace. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, God called David, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. You go, what do you mean do all your will? He's really good at repenting. He's really good at receiving grace. He's really good at walking with his Lord. All right? Now, if you were related to one of the 70,000, do you think you'd forgive David? Don't you think you'd wrestle? You know, David, if it wasn't for you, we'd have a full table around the dinner table again. Do you think you'd submit to him as your king? Or would you go... Like our previous do you see what he tweeted? Can you believe that? Or the new guy. Can you believe what abortion is doing and how much gas prices? Can you submit to these guys as your king? Would you say, no, 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 I find fault with David. He crossed the line. He's not my king. He is God's king. God's appointed man. How about this? You can only do it if you receive the grace of God. All right? So my biggest mistakes your biggest mistakes might be future tense. I hope they're not. I hope we can learn from David. I hope we can learn from human nature. I hope we can listen up to the Bible, but if history were to repeat itself, your biggest mistake might be in front of you. Do I operate in amazing grace or abusing grace? I shared this with you before about a guy I believe he was in Florida. I think he was on government, something or other wanted more money, and injected his son, his young son, with AIDS, so that he could get more money from the government. And uh, my wife and I were watching TV, and she, go, "This was on the news." and she goes, "Now wait a minute, if that guy repents and turns to Jesus and asks for forgiveness." Will he go to heaven? I said, absolutely. That's how it works. That's called amazing grace. Now, do you need more grace? Here's one I already said. It's in Hebrews chapter 4. This is a great one to memorize, by the way. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. See, a lot of people come sheepishly because we don't deserve it, because we messed up again, bigger consequences, I should have learned my lesson, and and we go, I know it's there, I just, I'm not feeling it. That's when you need to be bold. That's when you need to act like a child of the King of Kings and say, I messed up, but I know where I need to be. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help See the last three words? In time of need or four words? You know, we're all about going to the throne of grace when we don't need much. But when we really need it, the instruction here, the exhortation here is that's when you need it the most. Go for it. Now, are you new to this concept of grace? Um, This is what you need to know. You as a person have messed up, every one of us have. We have this tendency in us to try and make up for it, and maybe give more, or sacrifice more, or try and outweigh it, and it doesn't work like that. It's only by the grace of God. It is a gift. There's an acronym that helps. Grace, God's resources at Christ's expense. It's free to us. It costs him dearly. And so right now, if you're wrestling with any of this stuff, if you're wrestling with forgiving someone, you're wrestling with God's grace. If you're wrestling with being forgiven, you're wrestling with God's grace. And you go, I've been there before. I've said that song before. How do you think David felt? How do you get beyond the condemnation of having 70,000 people Dead because of your sin, I don't know how you deal with that, other than creating me a clean heart. restored to me the joy of your salvation. What if today you came here just kind on of another Sunday and, and God zaps you? God says, "You know what? You need a fresh taste of grace. It's not about keeping 10 commandments that you can't keep. It's a good try. It's about receiving God's gift of forgiveness, of a clean heart, of of joy of his salvation. Uh, Let's pray.